everyone, this is Lars Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, Ben Gulker and I talk about your 12 and 36 Detroit Pistons. Oof, actually did not realize the Pistons had three times as many losses as wins. It's been a long season. Uh, it's a mailbag episode, so Ben and I answer your questions about Boyan Bogdanovich's trade market, what this team is capable of defensively, and what to do with Wimbenyama if we're lucky enough to get him. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how's it going? Doing good, Laz. Just two games this week. The the international Detroit Pistons. Ready to talk about it. Let's do this. Yeah. How Well, you know what was really noticeable for me this week? How How much free time I had when I didn't <laughs> have to worry about watching the Pistons four times a week. Yeah, it's weird, right? I mean, two games felt very strange. Kind of kind of liberating when your team is struggling so much and it, it's only twice. I mean, I love watching my Pistons. I don't love watching my Pistons lose and struggle. So only twice, once in the middle of the day, it's, it's kind of a weird week. Get, getting to watch other pretty good basketball teams play basketball consistently yeah. is like, oh yeah, that's why I follow this sport. <laughs> For uh, for the end of uh, Celtics Warriors, or uh, for the end of uh, Memphis Cleveland, like the, those are those are some fun games. Uh, Pistons have not been uh, as fun to watch recently as I'm sure our audience has heard us bemoan over the last couple of weeks. Um, so then they did lose the game in Paris. They lost the game against the Knicks on Sunday night as well. Um, the only thing I think notable that we should like any spend any time on from that game in Paris is the return of Jalen Duren, uh, a double double in his limited minutes. Um, did not return as a starter, which I thought was interesting. Um, so much of this team, uh, so much of what we've been talking about for this team has been the like Duren Stewart pairing um, in the front court as part of the starting lineup, and so to have Duren healthy and not immediately like reunite them, I thought was interesting and a little curious and i wonder if it's because like they're still working during back into a, a full capacity but uh yeah did anything else stand out to you about that chicago game in paris or was it just another pistons loss that happened to take place in a different country another pistons loss and i was just a little bummed for killian i was hoping right, he would uh i was hoping he would perform for his countrymen unfortunately that, that didn't happen he had he had quite the stinker yeah a lot of pressure because I felt bad. He's like he's talking about how he's excited for his grandma to see him play in person yeah. for like the last time ever, or because she's not traveling. He's like, yeah, I don't think that's what your grandma wanted to see. Yeah. Sorry, dude. We did get some interesting uh, pieces out of James Edwards III of the Athletic, who I believe was the only beat writer to travel with the team. Vince Ellis traveled with the team, but he works for the Pistons, 
Um, and he's also like not uh, technically a beat writer. He like works for Platinum Equity, not the uh, not the Pistons. But uh, the big thing we got from James was uh, Cade. Cade is recovering um, after his surgery. He is in good spirits. We see him on the bench for the first couple of games. Uh, I think I think Sunday's game against the Knicks was the first time we see we saw him on the bench uh, since the surgery. Um, it's like he seemed like he was in good spirits, encouraged about the state of his recovery, feeling good. Noted that he had been dealing with this injury like on and off since high school, mm-hmm. which was uh, which is a crazy revelation to have. Um, ben, did did James's story give you any hope? that we might see an even better, more explosive, uh, more focused version of Cade Cunningham next season when he's fully healthy. Yeah, hearing that he'd been dealing with pain since high school was shocking to me. Um, I immediately was concerned about, you know, the was he misdiagnosed? Was he not diagnosed at all? What was the reason why it took until his second year of the NBA to deal with this issue the way it was dealt with and hopefully dealt with for a final time, right? Like presumably this is the the only time he's going to have to deal with this issue. Also interesting that Tim Hardaway Jr. was kind of the last guy yeah, he talked to. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Gives us a little bit of an insight into how, um, you know, the NBA players have kind of their own community. You know, when people are dealing with injuries, they're talking to each other and getting referrals to, to, to doctors who are, you know, obviously very highly specialized in the best of the world. I thought that that was also interesting. But, um, yeah, it, it makes me wonder, too, the type of pain that Cade was dealing with. If he was dealing the, with this since high school, is this, you know, sort of like a chronic aching pain that maybe he feels better after two or three days of rest? Or was this sharp, acute pain, like every time he lands or takes off, he's dealing with, you know, like those are unanswered questions. Maybe we're not ever going to know. But clearly if he was dealing with pain since high school, this is something that I have to assume was impacting his play. Um, so yeah, does it give me hope for a, a different type of Cade Cunningham next season? Certainly he thinks so. I think he said pretty clearly people don't really know who I am yet or something of that effect in the, in the James Edward piece. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping Cade comes out. He's, he's already putting on some at least definition <laughs> according to according to James so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a healthy Cade Cunningham next season for sure absolutely um yeah okay so so Ben because there was only two games this week I thought it'd be a good time to just uh get a mailbag going get questions from our audience uh reward our royal or loyal listeners um and so I started with the comment section at DVB which is who we really do this for and so our first question from the mailbag comes from DBB user Crosseyed, one of the uh, the better posters on Detroit Bad Boys, if I do say so myself. Uh, he asks, does this team's defensive performance so far give you any long-term concerns about any of the rookie-scale guys? I understand the guys in questions are young, and young players typically struggle in the NBA, but I also think that some of the hope for guys like Stewart and Killian in becoming rotation players on good teams is that they are plus defenders or even plus plus defenders, not just good enough defenders. Any worries from this season that their defensive ceilings are lower? Great question. Yeah, Cross, I've been around a long time in the comments. Always appreciate their perspective. And I mean, yeah, I think that's a fair question. And yes, I share some of those concerns. I think, you know, Killian, I, I think his on-the-ball defense is not something I'm worried about. 
Stu, obviously he's shifted to the four. So I, I think there's going to be some lingering questions. Hopefully we get some of those answers of the last 30 plus games. But, I, you know, I think, look, we, we've talked about on the pod, we don't try to dwell on the negative too much. We try to be critical, but not overly so. But, you know, look, I've been thinking about this all season, um, you know, and it's along these sort of lines as the question, what is the foundation that's being built here? I think, right? Like, I think if you project as optimistically as you possibly could and each of these young guys sort of hits their ceiling, I think Pistons fans can talk themselves into, you know, Cade, Ivy, Killian, Stu, Duran, Bay. Maybe you throw Livers in there as your seventh guy. I think you can see six quality pieces there. And I think you could probably talk about Cade, Ivy, and then tag Duran onto there as possibly foundational sort of pieces, right? So you've got three foundational sort of pieces with some role players tacked on. But, you know, like when I try to take my Pistons classes off and, and be like really critical, I ask myself, how often do you see a team draft a group of young guys like this and then all of them hit their ceilings at precisely the right time on the timeline. And then, you know, they all stay with their team. They all stay healthy and right. Like that all comes to fruition at the perfect time with the team that drafted them. And I think that's, that's pretty rare. Right. Um, so I think that's a fair question. Uh, and I think the answer is, yeah, I do have some concerns about all of that, especially, you know, this, this, this question's focused on defense. This is the first season I've, I've talked about this several times this season where, a Dwayne Casey team has dramatically underperformed on defense. And it's no, it's no coincidence that it's also, I think the youngest team that he's had. And I'll just layer on top of that. It's not just a defensive problem, right? We talk about this young core. There's, there's plenty of holes on offense as well too. So fair question. I agree with the question. Yes. I have the same sorts of questions. There are absolutely holes on both sides of the ball with with this group of players offense and defense there's internal development that needs to happen and there's i think things that need to be addressed across the roster not just internal development that needs to happen with the young guys yeah for for cross's question i do think that defensively this team is going to struggle as long as as long as the personnel remains exactly the same I think this team is probably going to struggle defensively. Um, I think Sadiq has regressed defensively in a way that is not very encouraging. Um, we have talked about how poor Jaden Ivey's defensive uh, attention and effort has been consistently uh, this year. You hope that develops positively, but if it doesn't, like that is that is an issue. Um, Cade, who you presume is the like one of the long-term core pieces of this team, um, regressed slightly in that area this year prior to his injury, which was also not encouraging. Um, but I think a lot of this has to deal with just the personnel has been really bad. Bogey, not the uh, not the defender I was hoping for when uh, he was first traded. Uh, Duran, I love his potential as a defensive player, but he is 19 and you can't expect any 19-year-old to anchor like a top 15 NBA defense that just doesn't work. Um, Stewart and Killian, uh, I think the bulk of their value will come defensively, but I do think both of those guys top out as plus defenders and not like plus plus defenders as cross talked about in his question. Um, and so, yeah, I think there will need to be personnel changes 
to this team in order to make them uh, hit a ceiling defensively. But Ben, we're, we're thinking about identity. We're thinking about like what will, when this Pistons team is successful, if this Pistons team is successful, like what will their identity be? And it really, at this point, looks like that uh, is going to come more on the offensive end than the defensive end. I don't think that, um, I don't imagine a world in which like uh, a Duran, Boyan, Cade, Ivy like lineup is like a really super lockdown defensive unit. I imagine that unit being uh, really efficient offensively and really diverse and multiple offensively and being able to hold their own on defense in a way that uh, kind of gets you over the hump. But, uh, but yeah, no one is projecting Cade as like a lockdown defender. No one's projecting Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey has the athleticism to be more impactful on defense than he's, than he currently is. And so like, maybe that's a little bit of upside there, but uh, as we've seen so far this year, that hasn't been uh, the case. Um, and so, yeah, the the defense is definitely a problem. It's definitely made me think about how this team is going to have to add a on-ball defender with size to tie together the other elements of this team. I think uh, dribble penetration has been a huge issue for this team. Just like lateral athleticism has been a huge issue for this team. When Duran is not on the floor, um, rim protection and keeping uh, altering shots at the paint has been an issue for this team, and so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an issue until they they need they need a lockdown on ball wing guy and they need a better defensive center off the bench when Duran doesn't play, and that's not me shading Marvin Bagley. That's just like that's that's not Marvin Bagley's game. It is what it is. Uh Thank you for the question, Cross. We really appreciate it. Our next question comes from DBB user The Second Hoop. What is fair trade value for Boyan? And then what will Troy Weaver actually take for him? And those are two separate questions. Yeah, another another good question. I mean, there's two separate questions in there, but I think the answer probably is kind of similar. I mean, I think, again, I, you have to kind of take your Pistons glasses off to answer it. I think fair value for Boyan is a is an asset that comes to fruition in the future because I think the teams who really want Bogey are the teams that are trying to win right now. And the teams that are trying to win right now are not going to give you anything that's going to come to fruition right now, right? So, you know, I think the potential trade partner is going to be looking to give you an asset that they're not using right now. Like if it's a if it's a current player, so it's maybe one or two veterans who are out of the rotation on some sort of awkward or unfriendly contract coupled with some future draft pick, right? So we, we looked, I think it was the Lakers rumor. It was like some 20 to 27 draft pick or something like that. So I, I think that's probably fair, right? Like if you take the Pistons glasses off, that's, that's probably fair. That's probably what you're going to expect. What will Weaver actually take for him? Um, I don't know that Weaver's going to take that this season because I think if you trade Bogey right now, like I think this team pretty quickly becomes an unwatchable mess. <laughs> Are they an unwatchable mess right now? Also, <laughs> maybe, probably a lot of the time. Um, but I really do think that's kind of a fair, a fair trade for Bogey. You're going to get some kind of junk because you got to make the, the contract work. You're going to get some sort of a 
player that you don't necessarily want on a contract you don't necessarily love, coupled with some sort of a, a pick in the future, two, three years down the road, um, because no one's going to want to give you something they're relying on right now because they, they want bogey because they want to win right now. Um, what will Lieber actually take? I don't think he's going to take that uh, this season, my opinion. No, I think I think that's totally fair. I think the the interesting thing about the trade market this season is that there are so many competitive teams that there are very few sellers. Uh, the Athletic had like a trade value column with Danny LaRue, Seth Partnow, and Sam Vecini uh, just going through like all the uh, players who could, you know, draw value at the trade deadline. I think Boyan was like third. And part of that was the season he's having, as we talked about last week, he's having like his most efficient season of his career at age 33. But it was also the fact that like the guys ahead of him were like John Collins, right? Like there's no super duper star available on the trade market this season. And a lot of teams are really competitive and looking to, uh, looking to add the Pistons are one of the few sellers that are in the, uh, in the trade market right now. And so I do think you could get a, the asking price per like James Edward, the third's like piece about the, what he's hearing about the trade deadline. The asking price is like a unprotected first round pick and a young player. I think you could probably get one, not both of those things. Um, I think that would be fair. And if I'm Troy Weaver, I probably prefer the young player that I like as opposed to a future asset that may or may not, I may or may not get to leverage because I think Troy Weaver is looking at the clock and realizing he's been here, you know, two and a half years. And uh, at the end of the season, they will have never won like more than 25 games in his tenure. And that's not great. Um, What will Weaver actually take for him? I agree with you, Ben. I don't think Boyan gets traded. I think as we talked about, as the timeline, like we just mentioned, they want to be competitive sooner rather than later. Boyan helps them do that. Even if his trade value might never be higher than what it is right now. Uh, I do think that they're hoping that they can ride out these last couple of years of Boyan's uh, offensive efficiency in a way that enables them to be more competitive on that end. Um, and so I do think they just probably end up keeping him. Um, no, it, no one will meet their price, right? Like if, if Chicago was willing to give up like a Patrick Williams or a, uh, I don't know who's a good young team that could use, like if, if Memphis were willing to give up like a, a Zaire Williams, like, and a Dylan Brooks, then like maybe they could get something like that. But I I just don't think an offer like that for Boyan is like legitimately on the table. And so that that's kind of what it is. Uh, we're going to get a lot of Boyan questions. So I'm glad we got this out of the way. Um, thank you for the question, the second hoop. We appreciate it. The next question comes from DBB user Dave 10.9 MN of LCA. I think that's 10.9 miles north of LCA. Don't know where exactly that is. That sounds like uh, like Southfield somewhere, maybe. Like if you're going, maybe if you're just going straight up Woodward, it's like Royal Oak or something. That sounds about right. Uh, Dave asks, are Boyan and Burks Pistons after the trade deadline? No waffling, yes or no, and why? So we already we already <laughs> kind of answered Boyan. So where are you at on Alex Burks being a member of the Pistons past the trade trade deadline? No waffling. I like it. 
Uh, I don't think either of them get traded. I spent a lot of time on the trade machine this week. And uh, I, I didn't find anything I loved. Although I, I will say, no waffling. I get it. I, I didn't read uh, the Bobby Marks column before I did all the trade machine tinkering. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But I, I'm still going to say no. I I just I couldn't find the trade that made sense for the trade partner. I found plenty that I liked, but I'm a Pistons fan. <laughs> Like you know, you yeah. can find the you can find the Harrison Barnes plus a future first for Bogey because the Kings are pretty good this year, right? And maybe Bogey makes them better. But it's like, why why do the Kings want a thirty three year old? Right? Their their core is still young. Like, why do they want to trade their first round pick this year when they could add their first round pick to their relatively young core? Right? Like, you have to take the Pistons glasses off and realize like. Like, yeah, okay, they're better for the playoffs this year, but are they really championship contenders? And does Bogey really push them over the line? And why would they really trade their one of their picks this this season? Like it just it it doesn't make sense for them to rush their uh their window to competitiveness in a way that that trade would require them to do. So I'm gonna say both of them stay uh this season. Um I, I don't expect them to be gone by the deadline. Um this summer, you never know. This trade deadline, I'm gonna say they're both here. I'm going to say they're both here um, after the trade deadline. I think of the two, Burks is more likely to be moved than Boyan. Um, it's easier for me to imagine a world in which, since Burks only makes $10 million and is already like accepting of a bench role, it's easier for me to imagine a world in which a team is like, yeah, okay, here's you know $7 million worth of vet we're not using that's expiring and a future first-round pick for Alec Burks, which considering what you acquired him for is like pretty good return on just like the, the half season of Alec Burks that you've already gotten. Um, but I, again, I don't think anybody is like really offering you that um, at this time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would, I think Burks is more likely to be traded to Boyan, but I think both of them are Pistons after the trade deadline. Uh, Dave also asked if there's a somewhat to realistic possibility the Pistons could trade anyone else. Yeah, Nerlens Noel. Nerlens Noel is definitely getting traded. It's, or, <laughs> I mean, maybe not definitely, but it is easier for me to craft a team that needs a backup uh, caliber defensive oriented center for the playoffs. Uh, like Denver comes to mind. Denver's been like rolling out DeAndre Jordan and Zeke Naji and like center lineups. Like you, you could take like Ish Smith and some stuff from Denver for Nerlens Noel. No one's gonna, no one's gonna be like, we're gonna give you a first round pick for Nerlens. But like, yeah, people would definitely like trade you some stuff for Nerlens, and I think that would make the team and Nerlens pretty happy. So yeah, I, I, if you make me predict, like, I predict Nerlens is not a piston after the trade deadline. <laughs> it's so funny because I wrote down no, and I just totally forgot about Nerlens Noel being on the team. <laughs> Blacked out the Nerlens well. So I'm, I'm just gonna stick with no because I'm gonna pretend Nerlens is not on the team. And I was really thinking about the the guys going headed. Shortly headed into restricted free agency. They're not there yet, but they're on their way. And I was thinking that you're better off going into restricted free agency with the guys like Killian Bay and Stu, who are, again, not there yet, but on their way. Like you're, you're just, you're better off going into restricted free agency, I think, as a team. So I'm going to say no, but probably New Orleans. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And the last question from Dave is what is the number one goal for the team for the remainder of the season? Losing games slash tanking not allowed, which. 
really handicaps my ability to answer this question. What do you got, Ben? Well, the good thing is they're going to lose. So <laughs> regardless, right? Like that. That's just a given. Uh, so I'm going to say develop the Stu and Duran combo. Like just see how that plays out. Uh, see what you got with Stu at the four. See how compatible those two guys are. I think the big question here is. Um, you know, what do you have offensively and defensively that's that's underneath the surface there? We're, we're only seeing a little bit of what Stu's offensive capabilities are as a stretch four. You know, like how far can you stretch that offensive game? What what exists there? And I think the same thing is, is to be asked defensively. What are Stu's capabilities as a defender at the four? And I'm going to say this later, but I think too, um, Stu, I think, is a very good rebounder in terms of his capacities, I think he hasn't been quite as good since he's moved to the four. I think he's let Dern sort of gobble up all the rebounds. I think he needs to be a little more assertive, especially defensively. Those two guys should probably dominate the defensive glass if they're both giving a concerted effort and utilizing their skills. I think Stu has fallen off a little bit. Um, so that that's one area I'd like to see those two guys continue to grow. Those two guys ought to dominate the glass. So develop those two two bigs. Yeah, Stu is down to like 33% from three on the year, which his three-point shooting has been like streakier than I would have predicted. Um, but in teams, it's difficult because teams still aren't guarding him out there and they weren't guarding him when he wasn't, they weren't guarding him when he was making them at like a 47% clip and they're not guarding him when he's making them at like a 25% clip. And so you, you really need a season of Isaiah Stewart shooting threes on tape uh, to make everybody feel better about that pairing uh, offensively. Uh, my answer for the number one goal for the team for the remainder of the season is uh, I got two, two number one answers. Uh, the first thing is like, figure out what's up with Sadiq. Um, Sadiq has been playing. He's been generally good production wise over like the last 15 or so games, but the efficiency still fluctuates. The three-point shooting still fluctuates. Um, Sadiq is, you were talking about the RFA class, Ben. Sadiq is going to be the most expensive of those three, most likely. And so it is really imperative that you find out what you have in Sadiq before you hand him 80, 90, 100 million dollars. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my second number one answer would be figure out how to get through to Jaden Ivey defensively. Jaden Ivey can't be this bad defensively and be a core member of this team. And I think right now you love to project Jaden Ivey to be a core member of this team. And so you have to figure out a way to leverage him uh, and get his attention to play better defense because like, quite frankly, the level of effort and technique from him defensively has been inexcusable. There was one play in, there's one play in the Chicago game where he goes coast to coast. He beats three guys offensively for uh, for Chicago for a transition layup, just like pure speed and power on display. Um, and then the, the Bulls take the ball to the, ba- the basket. They set up. And then Ayo Dusumu just drives right past him like he's a traffic cone for a layup on the other end. And it's like you have all this grace and athleticism offensively, and you can't leverage any of it defensively. Mm-hmm. It's just... And that was like that was a sequence that took like 15 seconds to happen. It's just like crystallized Ivy's problem so clearly in my mind. Yeah. And so yeah, if for the future you got to figure out how to make Jaden Ivy an effective defender 
on ball, off ball, does not matter. Just got to get through to Jaden Ivey defensively. That's the number one goal for the rest of the season. Thank you for the questions, Dave. Uh, all three of them. I appreciate it. All right. Our next question comes from DBB user Stones1981. Uh, if you were Troy Weaver, would you trade Boyan? And what return would it take? So this is a little bit of a different question. Instead of like projecting what Troy would do, uh, it's like putting yourself in Troy's shoes and figuring it out from there. So what would you do, Ben? Would you trade Troy? Or would you trade Boyan? <laughs> if I were Troy, I would trade Troy. I would be getting <laughs> the heck out of Dodge. No, um, so I would trade anyone on the roster for the right package, to be perfectly clear. Um, worst team in the NBA, a team this bad, especially defensively. I might be alone in this. I might be the only Pistons fan that says this, but literally no one on the roster would be untouchable. Um, it would take a lot for me to move on from Cade Cunningham, obviously. Like, but it, you know, there's there's a couple really good players in this draft. Like, if someone really wanted to trade me one of the top two picks for Cade Cunningham, like I would be looking very carefully at that. I mean, I'm I'm not saying I would do it, but I would be thinking about it, right? Like. You do, you'd have to think about it, right? Yeah, you, like you definitely have to call a meeting at least, right? Like you got, yeah. You're not you're not just automatically turning it down. You're thinking, yeah. like, yeah. do I do I take this seriously? Right? Okay. So the question is not, do you trade Cunningham? Is do you trade Boyan? Yes, I would trade Boyan for the, the things I already laid out. I think I probably wouldn't want to go two year more than two years out if it's a first round pick, um, because you look at the Pistons timeline and you got to think that it, you're. Any first round pick you take, you know, if it's inside what, like the top 20, you're probably two years away from that person really hitting their stride. So you're talking about four years away, right? Um, I would also trade Boyan for a slightly younger veteran. It doesn't even have to be like a young guy in air quotes, because I think the Pistons are going to need vets to win. You, you, so... Like if you if you could get a guy who's 26, 27, 28, who's got three or four solid years in him, um, I, I would trade him. So, yes, I would trade Boyan. Um, I've been a fan, like I've said, sentimentally attached to Boyan. He's been fun. As long as I don't watch him play defense, it's been a blast. Um, but I would <laughs> trade him. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would also trade Boyan for uh, the Jeremy Grant from three years ago. That that also sounds like something I'd be interested in <laughs> if I was true. No, I I I I would personally trade Boyan just because I don't think if I'm Troy Weaver, I am worried about getting fired. Even though I just signed an extension, I yeah. am worried about getting fired. Um, but I do think like you are never going to get more for Boyan than you are like at this very moment. And so I I just I think it's the the value in trading for trading him is is too high. And then I'm, you know, hoping to leverage the insane amount of cap space I have over the next few years to acquire some more veteran talent to make this team better, um, especially defensively, and just go forward with that. Um, I do think so. Something that I have seen brought up is that like if you could trade Boyan for like the you trade Boyan for like those Laker far flung firsts, for example, with the thought that like you are not necessarily making those picks but you are acquiring a horde of picks in order to turn into a current superstar, right? Like you are doing what the Knicks attempted to do um, with Donovan Mitchell or what the Cleveland Cavaliers actually did with Donovan Mitchell, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're hoarding picks so that you could just like send out five picks and two swaps and like get a really good player in 
And I think there's like there's there's something to that, right? Like I don't think that's an impossible ask, but like as from the Knicks example, right? Like you have to have picks other teams want, and like I, other teams also like picks that their GMs think they are going to make. And like not a lot of GMs can confidently say like I'm going to be doing this job in 2027. I'm going to be doing right. this job in 2029. Yep, that's right. And so is is it's difficult to uh, get something a little too farther down the road. But yeah, yeah, I would definitely trade Boyan just because from a value proposition, I don't think his value is ever going to get any better. Uh, second question from Stones 1981. In the second half of the season, what's one thing you'd like to see progress on from the young guys? Duran, Ivy, Killian, uh, Bay, Stewart, Livers. <laughs> second half of the season I'm going to say second half of the season slash off season because I think it's super hard for guys to improve in the middle of the season okay so I'm going to I'm going to slightly modify the question I'm going to say Duran free throw shooting although there's lots of things but I'm going to say free throw shooting because if he doesn't improve his free throw shooting he's not going to be able to play in crunch time and yeah. if you can't play in crunch time do other improvements matter? I don't know. Ivy, uh, ball security slash decision making, kind of the kind of same thing. Just he dribbles in no man's land and loses the ball all the time, and that takes him off the floor. Right? Same same kind of thing with Dern. If you can't stay on the floor, um, you you can't impact the game. And he's gotten yanked so many times for bad decisions. Killian getting to the line. Uh, he's a, he's averse to contact, and uh, he's improved the three point shot. Right? Uh, getting to the line would be the next thing I'd like to see that would improve uh, his offensive efficiency dramatically if he gets the line a handful of times a game. Sadiq Bay, consistent three-point shooting. That would uh, tell me that, gosh, that would tell me a lot about Sadiq Bay if he was a consistent 36, 38% three-point shooter. Stu, uh, I, I hinted at this already, but I would like to see him be a consistent rebounder while he's sharing the floor with Duran. Um, it is inconsistent as they have been defensively and honestly offensively as well if those two guys could dominate the glass on both ends that would do a lot to shore up some of their weaknesses not going to single-handedly turn them into a good team but at least shore up some of their weaknesses if they could limit other teams to one shot and then generate additional looks give give your give your offense a, a second shot at the basket those two guys have the athletic tools to be uh, a dominant rebounding duo. But Stu, I think, has sort of vanished at times when he's been sharing the floor with Duran as a rebounder. And then Livers, I don't know, is he really a young guy, Laz? I mean, I think he's older than Hami. Didn't we just discuss he's that? A he's a second-year player. That's he's a second-year player, but he's like 25. I mean, I guess we'll call him a young guy. Uh, Livers, I think, uh, what could he do to improve? He could... Um, he could do more. Let's let's just say he could do more. He could not be so invisible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jalen Duran as a starter in the last sixteen games, shooting seventy percent from the free throw line. I noticed. I noticed that like uh, he had been. He started the year like awful from the free throw line, and he had been picking it up. So seventy uh, percent from the free throw line. Good. I can live with that uh, from Duran. Ivy uh, defense. 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 Ivy. Stop. Please stop being just a traffic cone on defense. That made me feel so much better. Um, Killian, I would say attacking the basket. Like getting to the line is going to be a byproduct of attacking the basket, but I think it's more important for him to try and use that 6'5 frame 
to finish around the rim. Sadiq Bey, uh, just consistency, three-point shooting consistency. Go two of five or one, uh, three of five from three every night. Like, that would be nice. Um, Stu, I think it's going to be really important for Stu to figure out how to also, like, attack the basket in a meaningful way from the wing. Teams are not, like, closing out on him hard. Um, but if he's able to still get downhill, I think he has the processing ability to make good decisions on the move. Just getting him on the move is going to be tricky because that's not something he has a lot of experience doing. But I do think that's a good a good uh, role for him moving forward. And then Livers, uh, I'd like to see Livers. I, I agree with you. I'd like to see Livers just try and incorporate himself a little bit more into the offense. Try and do a little more. I think that would be helpful. And then the last question from Stones, nineteen eighty one, Ben. What free agents would you be interested in the Pistons pursuing this summer? They do have gobs of cap space. So, Ben, who, who would you want the Pistons to sign this summer? Gosh, I, so I haven't done a deep dive into free agency. I started to look at this a little bit. <laughs> so so here's what I'm going to say for now. Instead of specific names, I'm going to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek here. So you take your list of small forwards, and you sort by three-point percentage. <laughs> then you take that list, and you sort by perimeter defense. And then you develop a rating based on those two systems and you sort by that rating. And, and that's what that that's how you go after free agents. All right, Ben, I'm going to throw some names at you. Uh, Kyle Kuzma. How's Kyle oh, Kuzma? Kuzma. Okay. So he was, he's a guy I was worried would come up. <laughs> oh, Kuzma. Is he still a knucklehead? I mean, I haven't paid attention to him no, since. No, he's, he's, he's developed quite he's leveled well, out. Right. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> I guess it depends on the price, right? I mean, it kind of depends on the price. Kelly Oubre Jr. Okay. Is Kelly Oubre Jr. is still a knucklehead. He's still a knucklehead, but is he is he just prototypical? Is he prototypical big numbers on a terrible team? I think there is something to that. Absolutely. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. I like Otto Porter Jr. a lot. Um, Hurt. For the rest of the season, correct. Hurt for the rest of the season. Um, maybe. Oh God, I hate to say these words. Veteran glue guy. Uh, but maybe that kind of guy. Championship experience. Championship experience. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. Cameron Reddish. So I also looked at Cam Reddish in my dive, but didn't do a deep dive. Laz, you're going to have to tell me what you think of his development arc so far. I think it's very odd that he no matter where he's been and no matter what the front office staff has said his coaches are unable and unwilling to give him minutes yeah. i think that is notable and that uh, fills me with dread about mm-hmm. Cam Reddish. yeah and so i'm not last last reports i read is like you could get him for like a song and some second round picks and like <laughs> that like so the acquisition price is interesting but yeah. it's like if if they're going to get him and for the third time in his career, the coaching staff is just going to be like, oh, yeah, we don't want to play you. That's like that. That makes me less interested. Mm-hmm. Cam Johnson, Phoenix's own Cam Johnson, another young old guy. Yeah, so so he was he was the one guy I just about put on the sheet to talk about because he's super interesting to me. Young old guy is right. Um, Phoenix is struggling this year, obviously, though, not necessarily because of him. Lots of injuries are dealing with they've dealt with um i don't know is he gonna cost a lot do you think lads or is he gonna be reasonable yeah he's gonna cost a bit he shoot he shoots really well so he's probably gonna cost a lot and 
Phoenix does not have a ready-made replacement for him, as mm-hmm. we've seen like during his injury and Jay Crowder staying home. Like they don't have anybody who does what he does, and so they're going to be highly incentivized to keep him. I think. Right, and then we're talking. Is he restricted? Right, he's re- coming up yeah, the rookie restricted. scale. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that might be you might just be getting yourself into uh, a bidding war. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last but not least, Grant Williams. I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Talk me into it or talk me out of it, Laz. What do you think? Uh, does a lot of what you hope Isaiah Stewart does, but is currently a much, much better shooter. Hmm. Okay. And a much more threatening shooter. Defenses account for him as a shooter. Okay. I could see that. I would be interested in that. Um, that'd be tricky. You can't play Grant, Stewart, and Duran all at the same time. Uh, I wonder about the utility of giving Grant Williams sixteen million and then paying Isaiah Stewart sixteen million and then Jalen Dern later down the road twenty million and then all of a sudden you've invested a ton in this front court. But but maybe uh, you don't pay Isaiah Stewart. Yeah, yeah if Grant Williams is if Grant's better, right? Yeah, isn't yeah. that the idea? Yeah. Okay. Though just just some small just some forward names. Um, I think. Kuzma's like pretty clearly going to be like the the highest paid free agent this offseason, which tells you any, everything you need to know about how this offseason is going to go from a free agency perspective. Yeah, I that was kind of the thing I ran into was just like, I don't know, none of those names just pop as like, oh yeah, I want to go throw a bunch of money at, yeah. at any of those guys, right? Yeah, it's definitely like adding to the core you have instead of like uh, replacing. Uh, like adding another core piece, adding a, a superstar is mm-hmm. not really going to happen this offseason. Right. All right. Thank you for the question, Stones81, uh, Stones1981. We appreciate it. Uh, all right. Next question comes from DBB user Detroit DK. Uh, he asks, What are your top three areas of development for each player on the squad next year? That's 15 guys, Detroit DK. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't make Ben <laughs> go through every single person on the roster. So I want, I'm going to reshape the question a little bit, Ben. Which individual player has the most important development to do for the Pistons this offseason? Pistons are going to go as far as Cade takes them. Uh, so this this is Cade Cunningham's most important offseason of his career, coming off the surgery. He's got a lot to prove after, you know, sort of the struggles that he went through in his early and very young and much too short sophomore season. Cade Cunningham, he's got a lot to prove. This should be his his breakout season. Cade Cunningham, he's he's got to do He's got to do what he was drafted to do in his third season. I agree 100% with that. I am guilty of forgetting that Cade is on this team sometimes. I'm just watching the Cade-less version of this team for the last 35, 40 games has been so uh, monotonous that like, I am guilty of forgetting that like he is kind of riding in on the wings to, to save next season. But it's going to be really important for for him to be able to develop as a rim attacker and a consistent three point shooter um, to take the team where they needs to go, where they need to go. Uh, thank you for the question, Detroit DK. Sorry, we didn't answer your actual question, but I hope you're able to glean a little bit of what we're thinking from the stuff we talked about earlier. All right. These next questions come from Twitter. So from Twitter user, Aaron Cat, uh, Castellan, Castellan at AJ Castellan. Now that Killian's emergence seems to be legit, and everyone is still questioning the uh, legitness of Killian's emergence, but that's okay. 
Do you think Killian and Cade are the starting backcourt next season, assuming no Scoot Henderson? I do not. I still think Killian is best with the ball in his hands, which means he's probably leading the second unit. But I'm still hoping for the emergence of the three-guard lineup, maybe to close games or maybe situationally. I think that could potentially be fun. Um, And by the three-guard lineup, just to make sure everyone's on the same page, Cade, Ivy, Killian, I think there's a lot of interesting potential there. You've got a potential. Again, they got to reach their potential, especially defensively. You've got a lot of switchability. You've got a lot of length. You've got a lot of quickness. You've got a lot of speed, Uh, especially Killian and Ivy. If you can turn defense to offense, you can turn defense to offense very, very quickly, Um, especially if Killian's three-point shot is legit, which... Well, as you just said, people are still questioning that. Uh, it, we got to assume Cage's three-point shot is going to improve. I think we also can assume Ivy's shot is going to improve, at least incrementally. I, I'm just so I'm intrigued, even though all three of those guys have their challenges. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I don't think Killian's going to be starting, but I think that three-guard lineup could be fun if they all take some steps this summer. I think it was you, Ben, who pointed out a couple weeks ago that the best version of Jaden Ivey we've seen so far this season was when he was next to Kate Cunningham. Yep. And so I definitely think that there is value in putting Jaden Ivey next to Kate Cunningham. And I still, I do think that uh, Killian is best with the ball in his hands. And so I agree with you. I think that the starting lineup next year will be Cade and Jaden. Uh, and then Killian coming off the bench, running the second unit. I think that works uh, best for all parties. I do think that, uh, we will see some of that three guard lineup. Definitely Dwayne Casey won't be able to help himself, but I wonder about that lineup defensively. Um, you know, Jaden's current defensive issues, uh, notwithstanding, I don't know if I love the idea of like Cade Cunningham trying to guard larger wings. Uh, Cade is big for a guard. He is like normal wing sized. Mm-hmm. So if you put Cade up against like your, your Harrison Barneses and your Jeremy Grants and your OG Ananobis. And that's not even like getting to like your Jason Tatum's and your Jalen Browns. It's like, I don't love those matchups for Cade. Um, and so I would prefer to keep Cade guarding guards as opposed to guarding uh, bigger wings. Uh, next question comes from Twitter user at uh, Jeff Cameron. It actually comes from his 12 year old son, Jack, who I believe has submitted questions for this podcast. Yeah, before. Jack. I think we've shouted out Jack before. Hey, Jack. Yeah. Hey, Jack. Uh, Jack wants to know if the Pistons draft Wimby, who loses their starting spot for him? And Jack, I got to tell you, man, if the Pistons draft Wimby, that's like the last question I am asking myself. <laughs> oh my gosh. What, what position does Wemby play in the NBA is the question, right? And then whoever plays that position loses their starting spot. I think right. is the answer. Pretty, pretty um, instantly. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what position Wemby plays. I don't think it's center because I think he just gets beat up. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is is it three, Laz? I mean, I think I lean three. Maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what position he plays. It's too hard to tell. I mean, I I hate saying this. I don't like saying this, but it's just it's so hard to project these dudes who play overseas still because the overseas game is just still different enough from the college game and the NBA game to know. And, and Wemby's frame is just so different. It's just so unique that I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I don't think it matters. He, he starts over anyone. So yeah. 
I think uh I think he probably takes Stewart's spot as the four. Four, okay. Yeah, I think you would probably do like Cade, Ivy, Boyan, Wimby, Durin yeah. as your starting lineup. Um I personally would be really interested to see Wimby at the three with a like Wimby, Stewart, Durin front court. Um, I think Wimby is like a good lateral mover, but like not a great one. You might have to like do some weird stuff with that, play some zone, keep him close to the rim so that he's not chasing around again, like bigger, stronger guys who are going to be able to out leverage him. But uh, at the four, he can definitely like play a little closer to the rim, offer a little bit of that like help side uh, rim protection, just being as a massive a human as he is. And he doesn't have to take the pounding of the big centers every night. Jalen Duran, who is equipped to definitely take on that challenge, can can do that for him. Um, so yeah, that. But this is one of them good problems, right? Like if the Pistons draft Wimby, like, like we'll we'll figure the rest out later. Mm-hmm. Man. Let's, yep. let's, that that dude is that dude is special. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the question, Jack. We we appreciate it. All right, Ben, to close us out. Uh, there were, I did read the Bobby Mark, or I read the Eastern conference, Bobby Mark's trade column. I did not read the Western conference one. I didn't have the time or patience, but there were two fake trades involving the Pistons in the Eastern conference, uh, Bobby Mark's columns. The first one was Alec Burks to new Orleans for Devonte Graham and a 2027 top 14 protected first from the Milwaukee bucks. So Alec Burks to new Orleans, Devonte Graham to the Pistons, a future first round pick. What do you think of that trade? Laz, this gets to your point that I think is is really well taken. Most NBA general managers or whatever your title is, because they change from franchise to franchise, if you believe you're going to have a job and you're fairly confident you're going to have a job in 2027, then sure, you do this trade. Um, if I'm Troy Weaver, I just signed an extension, so maybe I feel like I have some confidence, but also... Like I got it. I feel like I have to improve next season. And uh, I don't know. I feel like Alec Burks has been a pretty important part of my admittedly poor bench. And I feel like I need, I need to have a bench that's at least functional. So I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about doing this trade for a 2027 pick. Is Devontae Graham going to help me next year? No, that's that's the deal breaker for me. Devontae Graham is not. I I was a really big fan of Devontae's game when he was in Charlotte. Uh, he was like, he had one season where he was like top ten in the league in like three point makes and assists, which was really impressive from an undersized uh, point guard. But he has really regressed, or it, it maybe it's a combination of like just playing time opportunity and like not being able to get into rhythm in New Orleans. But he's been really poor for new Orleans and his contract he has he's due uh he makes 11 million dollars this year he makes 12 million dollars next year and he's got a partial guarantee in 2024-25 um for another uh, for another three-ish million 2.85 so if you trade for Devonte graham you're holding on to him for at least two more seasons and uh he's not been very good as I roughly equate him with like Corey Joseph mm. and like, I don't want to pay Corey Joseph $12 million. <laughs> and so I would probably just hold on to Burks who makes less money than Graham uh, right now, but uh, is also like 
you know, you get the 2027 first round pick, which we talked about is not necessarily asset Troy Weaver is not super interested in. So I would not do this trade, but it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. Uh, the second trade was Dylan Windler and a 2027 second round pick to Detroit. Uh, Dylan Windler is a Cleveland Cavalier, if I remember correctly. And uh, so Cleveland would send Dylan Windler and a 2027 second round pick to Detroit for Hami. So Ben, would you would you trade Hami for for Dylan Windler? Yeah, I had to look up Dylan Windler. I I did not know who that was. You are right. He's also injured. Um, I I could not for the life of me remember ever seeing Dylan Windler play a game in the NBA. He's played fifty games for the the Cavs uh, this season. Um, poor Hami. Poor Hami. <laughs> Favorite of the podcast, but not of Dwayne Casey. Um, a twenty twenty seven second rounder, boy. Um, what's the point? I mean, I'd rather so, see Ham. I'd rather see Hami dunks. I think that's fair. Allegedly, Windler is a better shooter and ball mover than like what he's been able to show for Cleveland so far. He is shooting a career 32% from three on low volume. So uh, that's just part of the uh, injury experience that he's had. But I do remember uh, he was drafted last year. I do remember uh, he was a very intriguing prospect, but he was old. Yeah, um, he is. Like, he's 26. He's 26, yeah, he's 26 already. But as a, as a shooter, he was uh, intriguing in college. Now... Yeah, less so. I don't. I, I. I can't in good faith trade Hami for a dude who's currently injured, even if that dude allegedly gives the Pistons more of what they look they're looking for. So I would also not make this trade. I would equate like Dylan Windler is give is hopefully giving you like what you is like what you hoped like Kevin Knox would give you, right? Like the ability to space the floor, put the ball on the floor like a little bit, and like not be awful defensively. But he's also like hurt, so it is what it is. So yeah, don't don't love either of those trades from Bobby Marks. Sorry, Bobby. We uh, we uh, appreciate you keeping the Pistons in your thoughts. All right, Ben. The Pistons do play more than two games this week. Monday, uh, tomorrow they play Milwaukee at home. Oh joy, they play Milwaukee. Thursday they go to Brooklyn to play Brooklyn. Brooklyn, I think, will still be without Kevin Durant uh, for that game. And Brooklyn has been like in a little bit of a teeter totter since Durant uh, got hurt. So uh, we'll see about that. And then Saturday, they play the also tanking Rockets in what I'm sure will be a uh, classic tank off uh, January game. Uh, ben, uh, do we have a shot at some uh, at some wins this week? Oh, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, not going to be so Milwaukee. <laughs> no, we don't have to play Milwaukee anymore. Is this the last matchup against Milwaukee? This one, so. the it final game. Like yeah, Brooklyn is volatile enough that you just never know. I mean, you never know who's going to suit up for, they, for Brooklyn, who's going to get suspended. An absolutely heroic performance from Durant and Irving last time they played to win that game. Yeah, you just never know with Brooklyn. You never know what you're going to get, so who knows. But the Rockets, they should beat the Rockets, right? I mean, Rockets are so bad. So let's let's say let's say they should beat the Rockets and maybe who knows? Who knows what can happen against Brooklyn? Yeah. I, I think they should they should beat the Rockets as well. Um, that Rockets team is disorganized as any basketball team I've ever seen. Okay, that's not true. 
uh what was the year that the bobcats won like 12 games or whatever like that team was like the most disorganized team i've ever seen but the rockets are like are are up there they're pretty bad um it's kind of ugly over there it's getting like locker room sniping Mm. um they're none of their guys are like sharing the ball or deigning to play any defense um jabari smith has been like openly frustrated a number of times and like i I don't blame him uh poor steven silas man the front office really hung him out to dry all right ben uh thank you for doing the mailbag with me uh i appreciate it on a basically pistons contentless weekend uh let the people know where they can find you where they can find uh more of your thoughts about this season that is uh blessedly just getting away from us <laughs> yeah you know pre pre-recording i said yeah the season's almost over and i realized well it's not almost over it's just barely past half over it's not even the all-star break <laughs> it's not even the all-star the season's break. over it's fine that's yeah um you know occasionally on twitter but uh i, I jump into dvb and read the comments i did read all of these the the mailbag comments ahead of time so i appreciate folks leaving comments uh at detroitbadboys.com that's that's the best place right now and of course uh you can follow me on twitter at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e ben i am starting to do my draft prep research and so we will probably start to lean into that a little bit more after the all-star break um, I have some thoughts uh, people don't like to hear about Brandon Miller. Uh, we're we're going to see where that goes. But uh, yeah, this this class is interesting and fun in a, in a way that encourages me, even if the Pistons don't get a top two pick, which, okay. Is, uh, okay. which is good, which is good because the chances of getting a top two pick are lower than I would like them to be. Yeah. Yeah. All this losing and you're going to pick fifth. Like, God, that would suck. Huh, anyway. I wonder what that feels like. <laughs> This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everyone who submitted questions on uh, in the comments on Detroit Bad Boys and on Twitter. We really appreciate it. Uh, you guys are why we do what we do. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>